Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. And I'm Katie Winton, and today marks the switch from half-hour episodes of Agenda to one full hour. Coming up on the show today, we'll be giving you the breakdown of what Hugh Hefner's death means. Was he a sex-positive feminist or just a misogynist? Yeah, is Playboy feminist? The answer might surprise you. (laughs) Coming up, uh, we're going to bring you the week's news from a feminist perspective, including Saudi Arabian women legally being able to drive, Cardi B's single Bodak Yellow topping all of the charts, Ireland's anti-abortion laws and the UN statement calling on all countries to decriminalise abortion. Then at around 11.30, we'll be chatting to artist Leila El Reyes about her new solo exhibition, Did I Dream You Dreamed About Me, happening at Arterial Gallery next week. So much content all in an hour, but right now we're <laughs> going to um, bring you Melbourne art solo artist Bella LeBeau with her new single, Don't Want. Stick around for the news on Hugh Hefner. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio.
we were talking about uh, Hugh Hefner and um, just all of the news on Hugh Hefner's death, I think. And I don't know, I think it totally matters. Um, and to be honest, I've never really given Playboy a lot of thought before um, as like an overly political thing. But the public response to Hugh Hefner's death has really surprised me. And it's been pretty divisive. Yeah, I kind of feel a little bit um, complicated about it. Um because I think I wonder whether the criticism of Hugh Hefner is kind of just like echoing that very second wave feminist rhetoric um, that doesn't really allow for sex positivity. But also, on the other hand, I don't know if it's my own kind of internalized misogyny as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He has been heralded as like heralded as a trans rights activist for putting transgender model Caroline Cosey on Playboy um, in 1991 and has been talked about a lot as like an LGBTQI ally. Yeah, and that was, like, 1991, that was, like, a long yeah, time before early. the trans tipping point of 2015. But I don't know, that uh, mm, the Playboy feature still kind of fitted very into that um, well-defined mould of uh, femininity. So it's still, yes, it was a trans, act- uh, a trans model, but it really privileged that proximity to white cis femininity. And I guess that's a problem with Playboy in general is that there's only room for a very um, specific kind of woman, very easy, agreeable and one dimensional. And that pretty much goes against the it's it's fundamentally at odds with the women's movement, which kind of advocated for women to have complexity and difference and, like you know, sometimes say no to sex. Um, but to their credit, Playboy, um, the Playboy Foundation donated generously to abortion rights organizations and to the American Civil Civil Liberties Union to fund daycare, which is really cool. Um, and he also came out in 2012 saying, this is Hugh Hefner, that uh, the fight for gay marriage is in reality a fight for all our rights. Without it, we'll turn back the sexual revolution and return to an earlier puritanical time. And I guess it is that tension between like being puritanical and just, or just kind of, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think there has been a lot of talk about like Hugh Hefner kind of leading the way in terms of women's sexual freedom or liberation, but it's still kind of inherently controlled by an old white cisgendered man. And I don't think the harem that Hugh Hefner created was particularly revolutionary. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, there has been a whole list of quite high profile accusations leveled against Hugh Hefner. Um, There was one a few years ago by his most famous ex, Holly Madison, um, in her best-selling book, she describes the graphic in graphic detail the really awful treatment that she and other girls faced at the Playboy Mansion. She said that she was um, he was really emotionally abusive, refusing to allow her or the other girlfriends to be friendly with one another, go home for Christmas, or even wear certain clothes or makeup. So it's like that's yeah. That's not cool. Um, and fellow abusive old guy Bill Cosby was a very close friend of Hugh Hefner's. Yuck. Um, and was. So Cosby's assorted rape trials um, in the year before his death, Hefner was sued in a civil suit by a woman who claimed that Hefner was Cosby's co-conspirator in her rape and alleging that Playboy, um, in the Playboy Mansion, he knew what was going on and helped sedate her when she was a teenager. Plus, and I only found this out during, like following Hugh Hefner's death, Brooke Shields actually posed nude when she was 10 years old for a set of images called Woman in a Child. Yuck. Like taken by photographer Gary Gross, which is kind of hilarious that his last name is Gross. Um, with her mother's consent, and the photos were meant to be used in the Playboy Press publication Sugar and Spice. And some of the full frontal images of a 10-year-old were taken in a bathtub. And like we Googled the images, and they're pretty 
full on. Um, yeah, like in my opinion, that is like the definition of child pornography. Like she's a child and she was featured in a photographic magazine. Um, and she was tied up in a litigation as a result of those photographs. But a US court ruled that a child artist was bound by the contract signed by her mother, by the Guardian, and the images didn't violate child pornography laws. Hugh Hefner published the pictures of a 10-year-old Brooke Shields and 11-year-old Eva Ionesco. And Ionesco was the youngest Playboy model ever who later sued her mother for allowing her to be photographed nude as a child, as an 11-year-old. Yeah, they are 100% pornographic. Like, it's a, na- it's a naked child. You can't it's like, it's like yeah. there's no way that that doesn't fit under the definition of child pornography. You can't claim sex positivity for a 10 and an 11-year-old. No, I don't know. Like, I woke up this morning pretty prepared to defend... Hugh Hefner um, and the Playboy, I was like, you know, there's room for pornography and there's like, there should be places for people to talk intelligently about sex and sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I was like ready to defend the kind of pseudo women's lib history of Playboy, but it's really everything that's wrong with the kind of co-opting of feminism to sell products and it reinforces rape culture. So he's essentially protecting sexual predators and and peddling child porn. And I just, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm so surprised that so many of the the um, articles that came out in the wake of his death were just so kind of like universally positive. And there were so many guys on my Facebook group, uh, on my Facebook feed that were like, can't imagine heaven's any better. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, what is your heaven? Like, the, it was so uh. nasty. And like, literally up until this morning, I was like, no, it's like good they they have their place in the you know sexual liberation movement I guess but it's like the opposite of that it's like really it's about women being one-dimensional and they're just and essentially still controlled right very much so they're controlled by one guy at the center of all of it yeah yeah anyway uh, I just really can't (laughs) get my head around the fact that like there's just child pornography yeah. and it's like unbelievable. It's like horrifying. The um, the images are truly horrifying and everyone's just like, yeah, what a dude. I know. What a what legend. A legend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's this really great article that our um, producer Mari pointed us towards. I think the title of it said something like, I don't care about this wrinkly old turtle's yeah. death <laughs> <Spot> <laughs> and you shouldn't too. Um, so thanks for that, Mari. Uh, we're going to take a track now from called Bad Habit. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio and after this track we're going to be going through the news from the last week.
was Cello with Bad Habit. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio with myself, Katie Winton, and my lovely co-host, Isabel Hawthorburn. Thank you. Right now, we're going to run through the week's news from a feminist perspective. In our segment, Go Home, Everything is Terrible. Katie, what's terrible this week? Oh, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> there's actually been some good news this week from Saudi Arabia, where the monarchy announced on Tuesday that it will lift the ban on women driving. I don't know, it's kind of good slash bad news because uh, women are still under guardianship laws, so they're still not allowed to drive without um, a male's permission. Um, but the change, which will take effect in June next year, will end a long-standing policy that's become a global symbol of the repression of women in the ultra-conservative kingdom. Yeah, so some people are sceptical of the announcement, as you mentioned, including Hala al-Dasari, a Saudi scholar at Harvard who said, just like the ban it overturns, the decree is not really about granting women more autonomy, but about consolidating political power. I have mixed, uh, very mixed feelings. I'm happy for women in Saudi Arabia who are now, who will not have to suffer from the ban anymore. But right now I'm not happy because the, this came at the price of silencing women's activists, which is a really important um, and interesting point. The same day that the announcement was made, the Royal Court made phone calls to several women who had been active in the campaign and told them not to speak to the press, not to make any comments on the decision, positive or negative. And one of the women told... Um, Al-Sari, that um, that she actually asked the person who called her, um, if I wanted to give a positive statement, what's wrong with that? What would happen to me? And his tone was very police-like, very harsh. And he said, you know exactly what will happen to you. Measures will be taken against you, which is like pretty intense. Yeah. At the same time, over in America, um, Kimberly Crenshaw, who coined the term intersectionality, tweeted, uh, black women are missing from the new definitions of intersectionality. Intersectional feminism examines the overlapping systems of oppression and discrimination that women face based on not just gender, but ethnicity, sexuality, economic uh, background and a number of other um, factors. And Crenshaw specified that there are many, many different kinds of intersectional exclusions, not just black women, but other women of colour and other kinds of marginalisation. But the fact that she now feels black women are now missing from something that they effectively coined, if not invented. So I think that was quite a big um, part of the news from the previous week yeah. in terms of intersectionality and how you address that and who is missing from conversations around feminism. And it so often is black women. It's not a new phenomenon, um, but it is really sad in terms of like, yeah, intersectional feminism. A Nielsen report released last week has found that black women in America are the major trends that is influencing mainstream culture, which I think we are in you. Totally, African- which everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, African-American women's consumer preferences and brand affinities are resonating across the US mainstream driving total black spending power towards a record 1.5 trillion by 2021. That just sounds like a made-up number. The report shows <laughs> that... I think trillion in any situation sounds yeah. like a made-up number, right? Yeah. The report shows that uh, the number of business majority owned by black women grew 67% between 2007 and 2012, more than all women combined. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we've talked about this a lot before in terms of, um, like... Cultural, pro- cultural appropriation mm. and um, things like Katy Perry's video clips kind of ripping off black culture and mm. all of the references and symbols that are indicative of um, essentially like, yeah, African-American women's um, or just like black women's culture essentially being ripped off and influencing all of the other trends. Right. And like with use. Kardashians and things like yeah. that, it's about like cultural borrowing without, without 
also acknowledging the kind of violence enacted against women of colour. Totally. Or also being able to pick up that symbol or that kind of um, reference and not actually having to live the oppression that Mm. those women face on a daily basis. Mm. Um, But in very good news, Cardi B's debut single, Bodak Yellow, topped the charts on Monday, which knocked Taylor Swift's Look What You Made Me Do from the perch in the process. Um, It's a massive achievement for relative rap rap newcomer, who you may remember um, as one of the best value personalities on Love and Hip Hop. Um, It's also a huge deal for female rap artists more generally, and Cardi B is the only second solo female rapper to top the charts and the first in almost 20 years, Um, which is really cool. And as if topping the charts with her debut single wasn't enough, um, Cardi B has also received acknowledgements from some of her biggest, uh, some of the biggest names in rap from Nicki Minaj to Missy Elliott and Lil' Kim. Yeah, Which is really she, awesome. It's really nice. And she's kind of like really um, unashamedly. She was like tweeted. She was like, thank you to every rapper in the yeah. world for congratulating me. I was like, yeah, <laughs> Which all right. Which really, <laughs> do you want to play the video? This is like probably my favorite um, and most illustrative um, video of Cardi it's B. from 2015, like- but it's still very accurate. I'm just going to play it for you. It's cold outside, but I'm still looking like a daddy because a hoe never gets cold. It's such an important message. Playing it twice. never gets cold. (laughs) Um, But it was really nice to see so many female rappers um, congratulate her. Azalea Banks aside, she doesn't really have anything nice to say about anybody though. Um, (laughs) But yeah, they all came out and congratulated her. um, And I think that it's it was so nice because we were talking after the 20 year anniversary of misdemeanor about how like the early early 2000s late noughties were late 90s sorry was this like great time of solidarity and sexual positivity and um liberation in hip-hop with women um and now it's kind of like Nicki Minaj sometimes Remy Ma and a whole lot of like bad mouthing but Bodak Yellow is like such a good tune and she wrote it and she wrote it herself and it wasn't co-signed to a male rapper. She wasn't the token rap. She wasn't the wo- token woman in a rap crew. And also she was like a stripper who turned to a reality TV star and then has turned into a rapper. She's uh, so funny. Yeah, she's really, I feel like her um, whole social media um, presence is very, like it's very easy to love her. Yeah. You know? Like she's yeah. very honest and raw and I feel like, mm. yeah, she's this very representative um, person who I feel like is quite relatable in a lot of uh, things that she yeah, like tweets and puts on Instagram and mm, stuff. Mm. Um, also in the news, uh, Kylie Jenner is maybe pregnant. <gasps> um, and there, oh, there are already like Halloween costumes to commemorate the rumour because we are incapable of letting women make decisions about their bodies. We certainly can't. But the Irish Prime Minister has announced a referendum on whether to repeal the country's ban on abortion in nearly all cases with a vote due to take place just a few weeks before a visit from the Pope, who is, as you might imagine... Not pro-abortion? Not, not pro no. Ah, oh, weird. Um, Ireland's restrictive anti-abortion laws mean at least 5,000 women a year seek terminations in Liverpool. In what has been Which come is to, in England. Yeah, in what has been come to known as the Ireland-Liverpool Abortion Corridor. Um, so it's a criminal offence to go abroad for an abortion in Ireland and for clinicians to provide information about abortions as well as carrying them out. So there's kind of a lack of clarity in both Southern and Northern Irish laws about their rights afterwards. And many instead have um, the second stage of an abortion unmonitored at home or deny what's happened to doctors, which is, like, hugely dangerous. It's really, really dangerous. And really horrible. And also, if you're kind of going, if you're making this trip, which so many women are doing, there's no aftercare. Because yeah. Because they're kind of, it's super expensive, and there are a lot of risks involved. And they're essentially breaking the law as well. So it's like... So it's not only it the stigma like, around what they're doing, but it's the health repercussions. Yeah, it seems hugely traumatic. So hopefully... Um, 
that law does go through is actually International Safe Abortion Day on Thursday, on the 28th of September, and a group of United Nations human rights experts called on states across the world to repeal laws that criminalise and unduly restrict abortions and policies based on outdated stereotypes, to release all women in prison on abortion charges and to counter all stigma against abortion. The experts um, also called for the 28th of September to become an official UN day for safe abortions worldwide to help encourage governments to decriminalise abortion decriminalise abortion and provide reproductive health in a legal, safe and affordable manner, which is what we want. Yeah, the UN statement actually includes Australia, where abortion is still a criminal offence in New South Wales and Queensland and can be quite complex to access in other states. So that was actually a big thing this year when New South Wales Greens MP Maureen Faruqi um, introduced a bill seeking to decriminalise abortion. Um, and in a video uploaded on Thursday um, by Faruqi uh, to mark international safe Safe Abortion Day, she notes that at the heart of resistance to abortion reform is the deeply misogynistic view that women's bodies do not belong to them. Absolutely. Um, And back in news back home, the National Cervical Screening Program will change from the 1st of December 2017 based on new evidence and better technology, improving early detection and saving more lives. The two yearly pap tests for women aged 18 to 69 will change to a five yearly HPV test for women and um, age 25 to 74. So women will be uh, women will be due for the first cervical screening test two years after their pap, their last pap test, and it's covered under Medicare after December four. So make sure you book yourself in, and it's like once every five years, which is awesome. <laughs> Good news, but on also that just front. like yeah, and also shout out to Ashfield Family Planning Clinic who are. Oh amazing. yeah, you always talk about this. They're what, so tell me about good. it again. Well, yeah, my doctor told me she was like, oh, you should do this test, but like wait till December when it becomes free. I was like, that's really nice, and another time. They like everyone that goes through the door. They they like give you a thing about a little pamphlet about domestic violence. It's just like a really good service and really lovely people. And it can often be like very, you know, upsetting and traumatizing to have to go to those kind of places. And it's just like they have like education rooms and really good doctors and nurses and. They're so lovely. So, so book yourself in. Isabel works for Ashford. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just like their biggest fan girl. Like, they're like lovely. Um, and you should donate to them. I don't really donate to charities, but I do donate to them. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Disney doesn't donate to charities. Um, I'm against it. <laughs> um, in other news, <laughs> Macklemore is in town for the NRL Grand Final and he plans to sing Same Love, which has outraged um, old white men because sport apparently shouldn't be political, except of course it is. Of course it is. And OG angry old white guy Donald Trump said that players who protest during the national anthem in America should be fired. Um, In response, over 100 players participated in some semblance of an anthem protest in the last um, week, the largest demonstration to date, and many teams released statements condemning Trump's comment. But it's not just um, the NFL that is kind of activated, I guess you could say. The WNBA has a strong history of activism. And on Sunday, uh, the Minnesota Lynx linked arms in solidarity against the anthem during their opponent's while their opponents, the Los Angeles Sparks, I love the names of like women's basketball teams. They're always like Lynx, Sparks. <laughs> um, they walked off um, the court into the locker room, and they, um, they the, the WNBA has always been like very vocal about like the Black Lives Matter movement because, um, but because women's sports are seen as second tier, they don't get the same kind of dec- recognition that someone like Colin Kaepernick would get for like kneeling, um, which is disappointing, but not really as disappointing as the fact that Macklemore is still like 
getting wheeled out to do things. Like, I want to have a quiet word with whoever's dad at the NRL was like, it's 2017, so like, Macklemore's a vibe. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I actually did cry when I watched the same love video the first time, though, so it's very affecting. Yeah, and in not-so-good news, the Seven Network has faced an enormous online backlash following the ABC story about journalist Amy Chilba, who was um, dismissed soon after making a complaint about sexual harassment. Um, so 7.38 aired an audio recording of the meeting and um, where she was accused of bullying and suspended from work. Did you hear the audio of that? No. It's like really unfortunate. It's so bad. It's, heaven sounds like a horrible place to work and a deeply misogynistic kind of atmosphere. Um, yeah, but it's like not so surprising. They, like Seven has a pretty bad history of yeah. kind of, you know, misogyny. What happens in the audio? Oh, she has, so like in most of these kind of HR meetings, you're allowed to have um, a kind of representative or somebody, like maybe it's a, your union rep or something. They make that person leave and then she's like very evasive. She's like, okay, so you need to go to your desk and you can't log out of anything. Just like take your wallet and go. And it's like, seems very much like it was, she reported this, it's really gross. She's like a triplet and this guy at seven made the most unimaginative jokes about her, like her sexuality and being a triplet and things like that. And so she reported it. And then the HR department was like, okay, so we're not going to tell you who leveled these claims against you of, I don't know what it was, but, uh, and she's like, can you what, explain? What, like defamation or something? No, it was like, she, I think she had had, they claimed that someone had made a complaint against her and they, she was like, okay, like, who said it? And I, it's like my right to know who said it. And they were like, no, uh, so just go to your desk and leave. And when she was like, I, I mean, I would have been way more upset, but she was just like, I don't really understand what's happening. Mm. It was horrible. Um, and, like, it's really hard to make, um, you know, to come forward in those instances. And it's super disappointing that they would handle it. Yeah, so and also kind of just normalises the um, stigma around making sexual harassment claims in a workplace. Mm. Like if, if you're if you're not going to be listened to and you're going to be let go based on someone's kind of counter argument against something that you've experienced, mm. uh, where does that where does that um, audio put other women that maybe have experienced exactly. a similar? Exactly, and like imagine if you were thinking of going forward, you'd like l- fi- listen to that experience and be like, oh no, I'm just yeah. going to like it's not worth the hassle. I don't want to get fired. Exactly, that's another thing. It's yeah. like people you don't people don't come forward because they don't want to get fired, which is like really really awful. Um, in other news, um, for our go home, everything is terrible segment, which is kind of looking a little bit more terrible Yeah, this week. We? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should tally them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there were, there are plans for a huge rainbow flag to be flown over Sydney this Sunday. So after, um, as you would probably have seen the vote, no, uh, really awful sky and riding sign that was, um, aired last weekend um there was a counter protest against it uh raising funds to write say yes like why double why triple a double s on sydney skyline and that was kind of um that was botched for a number of reasons i think firstly because yes has origins um for people of color and it was a quite offensive thing to write as oh, a really? yeah yeah i read a lot of commentary about how um the term yes is actually shouldn't be used by people, not by people of colour. Um, yeah. And secondly, people kind of wouldn't understand, like, yeah, I think the demographic of people that that would be aimed at would already kind of know what it means, whereas the older, like, I don't know, people who definitely don't use the term yes kind of mm. wouldn't, it w- It just doesn't, doesn't really make sense. Anyway, um, 
And also the Skyrider was actually a part of the No campaign. So the yeah. one Skyrider in Sydney wouldn't do it because he was um, heavily involved in the right in the No side. Um, so after that all happened, the Say Yes campaign will take flight in a different way with a big rainbow flag being flown over Sydney on Sunday. Lovely. I look forward to seeing yeah. that. That's a nice way to end the segment. Everything is terrible. <laughs> uh, coming up on Agenda, we're going to be talking with Layla Elrays to, um, about her solo exhibition, Did I Dream You Dreamed About Me? And we'll be introducing another cool new segment now Very that cool. you have us on the air for one whole hour. <laughs> Yeah. 
Thoughts that count. Agenda on FBI Radio. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, and we're starting a new segment called Thoughts That Count, where we ask you what you think about feminist issues. And the big issue for next week and this week, I guess, we want your opinions on whether um, men can be feminists. Um, a Canadian sexy boy, Justin Trudeau, <laughs> I don't really think that, I don't know why I said that, um, but Canadian uh, president, is he president or prime minister? He must be prime minister. Justin Trudeau announced that he was a feminist and that all men should be president. Um, all men should be president. <laughs> everyone is someone's daughter. Everyone's someone's um, daughter. <laughs> um, gonna, I think we'll just play the clip. We'll play what he said. It is so important that we all understand uh, that it's not only uh, that men can be feminists, it's that men should be feminists as well. And I am proud of that. Being a feminist for me means recognizing that men and women should be, can be, must be equal, and secondly, that we still have an awful lot of work to do. Okay, he that's enough is- of the shouting for there me. You have I think. It. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. What we want to know from you is, uh, should men call themselves feminists? Text us on 0409 945 945. Leave us a comment on our Facebook page, uh, which is Agenda on FBI Radio. Yeah, I guess we're kind of like a house divided on this We're issue. super divided on this. Yeah. Um, or send us a private message. Uh, can men be feminist or just allies? Um, what's in a label and what does it mean when a male feminist behaves in a problematic way? And I think this is kind of interesting coming off the back of talking about Hugh Hefner today. Yeah, definitely. Particularly, I think what's interesting about the Trudeau thing is that everyone just lost their mind when uh, when he said that he was a feminist. And they're like, he's amazing. And then like a few days later... It, someone asked him like why he decided to come out as a feminist and he was like oh I heard Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> say that it was cool so that's what I think now it's like oh so you had to wait for a woman uh, for a man to say that you could be a feminist for it to be yeah. acceptable it's kind of like when that guy changed his um sign off to a woman's name uh, and he yeah, yeah, realized yeah. people treated him differently and everyone's like this is amazing it's like well women have been saying that for a long time why is it why are you only le- now yeah. listening now that you've personally experienced that i don't know i personally i don't know i th- i'm quite divided on it because i feel like by saying that men can't be feminists you're kind of like reducing feminism to gender mm. which i feel like is super problematic and kind of exclusive of the trans community and mm-hmm. you're like i think that yeah it's it kind of to say that only people with vaginas can be feminist, I feel like is is not okay and not really where we are anymore. But there yeah. are so many different elements to this. Well, I yeah, think. considering we don't have a very, um, you know, fully formed opinion about it, we'd love to hear what you have to say. 0409-945-945, let us know. Let us know. Uh, coming up, we're going to be cho- chatting to Layla El Reyes about her new solo exhibition, Did I Dream You Dreamed About Me? In the meantime, we're going to take a track from Wallace, This one is called Black Lake, and you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Skimming on my stones across the ocean. Wanna dive down to devotion. That's where I long to be. There while your heart still sleeps. Never wash up on the shoreline. Wanna make sure it's for all time. Save a prayer from me If I get lost at sea Hush, baby, don't be nervous Down here below the surface You 
Wallace with Black Lake. Uh, you're, we're joined on Agenda on FBI Radio by artist Layla El Reyes to talk about the upcoming solo exhibition, Did I Dream You Dreamed About Me? Layla, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you. We first saw your work, Vulnerable and Volatile for Liquid Architecture, um, at First Draft last year. And it was a work called, uh, it was for What Would a Feminist Methodology Sound Like? Um, and you danced uh, um, around the space wearing uh, a now quite infamous, infamous? Famous. Infamous. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> nice skirt. Um, can you talk a little bit about the concept behind the work and kind of how it related to that idea of a, f- a feminist methodology or just like the work in general, actually? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, the work, um, Vulnerable and Volatile, um, came out of my mid-year honours kind of research um, where I was really interested in dance. Um, so I draw on belly dance because of my cultural heritage being um, Egyptian. Like we have a little joke saying you're born knowing how to belly dance. <laughs> and then I guess I was just trying to um, interpret that in like the modern world and how belly dance is seen, especially in a, like in the Western world and how I used that to kind of manipulate kind of stereotypes that already exist and what I've kind of like experienced in my life. Um, So what I did, yeah, was I made it out of chain and knives. I'm really in funny story actually I bought all those knives from Daiso and I was like holding 50 of them in my arms and just like dropped them all on the floor and I was like oh I'm not like being the weird. lady's like security security <laughs> I'm like it's for art I promise <laughs> um but yeah so I made the skirt and then um I kind of just stood still and waited and I had a live Arabian drama come in so um it was really loud because obviously it was live and I wanted it to kind of 
be absorbed into the people watching it. Um, and then once the drama started, I did a really slow, um, what I hope to be like hypnotic dance. And then through that, um, I hope it became like this trance-like thing where the spectacle was on the girl and she became this kind of like femme fatale power structure. And like the fact that she was wearing these heavy chains and blades allowed the viewer to kind of be fearful yet like invited and how she had the ability to hurt herself but was also holding it with grace. And that kind of translates to me with the stereotypes and carrying it on board but not like letting it stop you, like allowing it to, like acknowledging that it's part of your identity and experience but also allowing yourself to grow on top of it. So, yeah, like, obviously the stereotypes that are brought upon Arabian and, like, Muslim women in the modern world and, like, especially in the Western world, I just wanted to challenge those and be like, if you have this kind of idea of us, I wanted to warp that and manipulate it to my kind of advantage and be like, I can't change the way people think. Like, I, not that I can't change the way people think, but what the view they have of us, like, I'm not going to kind of sit at your level I'm going to just reclaim it and work it into how I exist and how I navigate the world and that's through power and strength with still acknowledging the fragility and the hardships that come along with it but also celebrating the beauty and the like hypnotizing kind Mm. of moments yeah yeah I think I've talked to you about that before about like I guess your I don't know how to frame this in a way that doesn't say journey because I hate the word journey but I feel like your journey journey (laughs) through the art world and kind of like uh, grappling with those um we were, I was talking about it with you before as like otherization or kind of not feeling like you fitted into an art world. And I wanted to talk to you about that and um, I guess kind of ask you what that process has been like. Yeah. Um, so going back to what would a feminist methodology sound like, it's actually really funny. Well, not funny, but interesting <laughs> how that came about because, um, yeah, I felt like otherized from the art world and not always seeing myself represented and having other people to kind of, gain from um like that were close call like I was always like looking at artists overseas or um especially women that were Arab or like held Muslim identities um but yeah so I ended up um, being the intern for um that event through first draft and then after having coffee with Francis Barrett who was one of the curators of what would a feminist methodology sound like we got chatting and stuff and at the end of it um She's after I told her about my performance, which I just very recently made at that time, she was like, oh, would you actually like to be part of the event rather than just the intern? And to me, that was like a feminist methodology in itself because yeah. she was extending her position That's as really a curator. Cool. Yeah. So that was really cool how it came full circle. And that was like the very first step into me feeling like that otherness was starting to slowly fade away, especially in the Sydney community, mm. was just, yeah, like that openness and extending that arm to be part of that event, not just as an intern, which is still like has agency and was valid, but I was now also an artist that was presenting. Mm. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like that. That is such a good curatorial methodology as well. It's not yeah. tokenistic. You, you weren't kind of like, you check these boxes so you can do this. It yeah, sounds like it totally. was like really organic. Organic is another word that you probably shouldn't <laughs> say <laughs> along with journey. <laughs> um, Layla, I guess going back to talking about the knives and the um, kind of like the line that they sat on in terms of like the beauty and the fragility of that work, but it also being kind of dangerous. Like you use knives, but you've also used nails in a lot of your sculptures as well. Like I was wondering if you wouldn't mind like chatting about the choice of those materials too, like in your sculptural works as yeah. well. Yeah, so um, I guess I am just drawn to metal. 
um, as a medium and a material. And then from there, it was went into nails. First, it started with nails. And then um, I guess it was just something that I saw laying around, like being a broke, like first year student. I just had to work with what I had. And then that kind of evolved and then led to my curiosity with metal. And then that obviously led to um, the chain and the knives. Um, but yeah, I guess like my understanding of them and my love for working with metal and these kind of strange mediums is the fact that like the unconventional just like theoretically what I'm speaking about these identities because I speak about um like the Arabian kind of Muslim identity where it's kind of um also unconventional with how I live like I people don't usually understand that identity to exist within like going clubbing and partying Mm. and existing within the music and like um, arts and all of that and it's kind of just challenging that but also yeah coming back to the metal how it can be seen as like dangerous and harsh Mm. and like stagnant and but I also see how it sways like example for the skirt like it's a dangerous thing obviously being a blade but once you see it move in like a delicate manner it brings on this new kind of understanding and I guess that's also what I'm trying to highlight within the identities of it. Mm. Yeah and speaking about clubbing or like um going clubbing that was kind of um a point of discussion about your new most recent work yeah called I'm spinning around what would Kylie do <laughs> um can you talk to us a little bit about that work as well yeah definitely um so that one is my most recent and that's just kind of come about with like responding to for obviously really charged political climate um with like the Burka, like stunt in politics oh and like God. with uh, with Pauline yeah. Hansen and just like obviously the Muslim ban with like Trump and all the stuff he's pulling and um I just kind of got sick with how turbulent these identities became and like how people kind of viewed them with a one-track mind like they mm. were co- like being a Arab or a Muslim was instantly politicized there was no other extension to explore and celebrate the like softer sides and the partying and like we love to party and we love to dance we're just like other people and I guess the I'm spinning around what would Kylie do is a bit of like a tongue-in-cheek kind of pull on it of like merging um this Arabian uh, not Arabian but like um Muslim culture with pop culture Mm. um so the whole point of it is whirling dervishes um spin and spin until they reach like a state of ecstasy and they're in connection with god um and then i just thought it was so fitting with i'm spinning around because when you go dancing and like to a party with your friends you're just spinning and you're like losing all inhibitions like very similar to the whirling dervishes and i was just like pulling the parallels of like when i go to family events and we're doing that and um, then I will go meet up with my friends afterwards and it's mm. the same thing but like in two completely different contexts. Yeah, I think your work really like it's a, like a really fun way that it complicates that Orientalist like lens that people often see Arab and Muslim women as like, you know, mystical or something like that. And mm. so it's kind of like, yeah, having Kylie playing at the same time is like showing that there's more complexity to that experience and it's... It's so fun. Like, it's, like, really, like, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess that's what I always try to highlight is, like, it's fun. Like, Mm. I'm sick of these identities being so serious Mm. all the time. Like, they're just, like, we're just people, too, who love to dance and stuff. Like, there's a whole nother side to what people usually just view it as. Yeah. Mm. And it's it's a very politically, um, you know 
politically dangerous way of like looking at people as well like if you yeah. if you if you use that then it's a way of not allowing people to live in the contemporary world as well it's kind of like you belong here you're not allowed to exist in this kind of yeah exactly present definitely yeah. um can you tell us a little bit about your upcoming exhibition yes next week yes i definitely can yeah. um so i have my first solo next wednesday um it's called did i dream you dreamed about me um it's a com- entirely new set of works except for the um, performance that is of a spinning around one. I've just got it as a video work but it's still new because I've got a new audio track on it. Um, But yeah so there's a set of sculptures, there's a set of photographs and there's two videos. And what's the title referential of? Yeah so um, Did I Dream I Dreamed About You is a lyric from This Mortal Coil um, Song of a Siren which is one of my favourite songs because um, one when my parents first came to Australia, they were kind of like the odd ones out because they were really into Western kind of music and all that jazz. And then when they were like teenagers, I guess that's what brought them together in the like Egyptian migrant Aww. community. And then um, when my dad was kind of like trying to hit on my mum or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> he would play her that song through the wall when at family gatherings. So for me, that's always been like such a like pivotal moment in understanding like Western culture and like pop culture, I guess, and also tying it back to family cultural norms. Mm. That's so beautiful. It's really cool. <laughs> so um, to get down to see Layla's exhibition, head to Arterial Gallery. Next Wednesday? Yeah. From 6 to 8 p.m.? Yep. Layla, thank you so much for coming in yeah, to chat to you. us on Agenda today. Cheers. Uh, this is the new single from Björk. If you hadn't had the chance to see the music video, it is absolutely incredible. Check it out on YouTube. Um, it was directed by the CGI genius Andrew Thomas Huang, and it's as weird and wonderful as you'd expect. Um, this is The Gate. You've been listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. <laughs> Didn't used to be so near.